0: A better way to do this Let me show you a better way you
1: don't have to be another face Well hi folks this is Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world the changing times and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't today is Wednesday. September the 1st 2021 it has happened august is gone like a fart in the wind we have one month left in q3 of the year and then we're into fall and winter we we are we are far closer right now to christmas day than i guess we are to easter i'd be one way to look at it I, i'm not sure if that's right but it's it, it probably is we the year has gone really really quickly i i don't know what happened this year guys i felt like uh, January first to May thirty first went like boom, and then I felt like June was like forever, and then July first to now, boom, like just gone so quickly. Um, this year has been one of the fastest moving years, at least for me, uh, that I think I've ever had. I, I just I don't feel like it's been eight months of twenty twenty one yet, but it has. And that means, of course, what? Tick-tock, tick-tock. The clock ticks for us all. You're either working on your personal liberty, independence, and freedom, or life is pushing you backwards. That's the only way it can go. One way you can uh, really develop more independence and liberty and freedom in your life is to build more wealth. And one of the best ways in the world to build wealth is with land. Uh, Land and real estate are one of the best investments historically, period. Uh, Land and real estate make more millionaires in this country than any other single thing. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about land, specifically raw land, uh, with a gentleman uh, named Dave Denniston, who runs a company, and his whole business is in finding land, buying land, and selling land. And he specializes in raw land. Uh, He does it either, you know, cash price or you get your own financing or with owner financing. He makes it really affordable. And he's not here to just try to get you to buy land from him. He's uh, in a lot of different areas, but he's in really heavily a few states. And that means that if you're in Georgia or Texas, you're probably not going to buy land from him. He's here to help you anyway, to help you understand you know, what the ins and outs of buying and selling raw land are, uh, what to look for, gotchas to watch out for so you don't get hurt. Uh, we have a really good discussion about things that can can be... You can figure it out so you don't make the mistake, but it's real easy not to see it if you don't know to look for it. I'll put it that way. Um, Some real-world experience from his side and some real-world experience from my side. Um, He also has a great podcast uh, about land and buying land, and and it's called Land Stories, and we'll tell you more about that. And we'll have him on in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today, RidgeWallet.com. I love RidgeWallet for two big reasons, about three. First is it makes me look – I just added the third one, but it's, I'm going to call it the first. It makes me look cool because people are like, wow, that's a Ridge Wallet when I pay for stuff at the store. And I, When I brought them on as a sponsor three years ago, I didn't, I didn't know that would happen. I didn't realize how big of a brand they had become. But like, So it makes me look cool. Number two, though, it's minimalist. I have not missed the giant lump loaf of a billfold I used to carry around on my butt and make my posture bad when I sat down on top of it. Uh, so because it's comfortable to carry, I don't like – leave it in my truck, get to the place to pay for stuff, and then realize I don't have my wallet on me. I don't leave it at home, etc. It's always on me. And the, the, the third reason is it prevents identity theft because it shields those little stupid RFID cards they have and everything now from being sniffed out by a part you can buy for about $18 on eBay. So I love Ridge Wallet. I think if you try them out, you will too. They're cool, they're minimalist, and they protect your identity. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Been reading them since 1993. Still a subscriber. I'm sure I could have negotiated with them as part of the sponsorship detail that I was a free subscriber, that they would, but I just never canceled my subscription even when they started sponsoring the show years ago because I just enjoy the publication that flipping much. In fact, I remember years and years ago, I was at a, a, a prepper expo and Dave Duffy's kids, I think they were actually his grandkids, came up to me and they wanted to barter with me for some copies of Backwoods Home Magazine. And I don't think I knew who I was. It's like, I've got every copy of your magazine since 1994 on. And they're like, oh. <laughs> I mean, but it's really easy to endorse a publication when you've been a customer that long. I mean, guys, you're looking at, what, uh 26 years? 26, 27 years I've been reading and subscribing to Backwoods Home. Check them out at backwoodshome.com, and you'll understand why. And I want to remind you, if you don't have, like, all those years of Backwoods Home. They have a special right now, electronic on a thumb drive. 24 years of Backwoods Home on a thumb drive for 45 bucks. There's a link to that in the show notes as well today. With that, let's kind of dig on into this. And uh, I'll just kick you off with a quote of the day from Mark Twain. "By land. They're not making it anymore. And someone knows about that. Again, our special guest today. Uh, Dave Denniston here to talk to us about all things Raw Land. With that, hey, Dave, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Yeah, glad to be here, sir. Yeah, we're finally getting going with this. The audience doesn't need to know what that means, but we do. Um, I want to start out there. We're going to be talking about Raw Land today, which is like... A super hot topic with this audience. People love this subject. It's something that a lot of people have dreams of. I know part of what you're doing is to try to make those dreams available to people, to give them ways into uh, owning land, especially kind of that second piece of land, that getaway land, maybe uh, a great place to homestead and anything in between. And doing that through raw land. Before we do that though, kind of what's your background? How did, how did you end up in the world the way that you are today in doing this for people? Like you're back in high school spacing out. Now you're helping people find raw land. How's that connect?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, to be honest, Jack, when I was in, in high school, I had thought, um, I had had, I was in track. I was a 400 meter runner and I got injured frequently. And so I thought I want to be in sports medicine. And then then um lo and behold, my grades weren't as good as I hoped and ended up making my way to Seattle going for a business degree and so ended up doing finance. And uh, basically, I was I started to be entrepreneurial kind of towards the end of college doing a few things before that. I never had an entrepreneurial bone in my body. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, you know. My parents took care of me. Everything was good. You know, I worked some. My first job was at Costco hauling carts around in 100 degree heat in Southern California. So, you know, I was always a hard worker, um, but, um, didn't really get the entrepreneurial bug until I'd say about my senior year in college at Seattle Pacific. And, um, after a few years of being in finance and finance related stuff, I really uh, went through some, some crazy, Personal circumstances. My wife and I with our second daughter, she was born at 23 weeks gestationally. She was 12.4 ounces. And that moment for me where thank goodness she made it. She was healthy. Uh, the, there are so many just moments going through my head right now of going through those times. She was in the NICU for about five months. And, um, part of what happened in my life, we moved from Seattle to Minnesota, had nobody that we knew out here. And, um, so as we had her after we were out here for about four or five years, it was, uh, didn't really have a great support system. And in my prior, um, I made an acquisition of some clients and in my other, um, job, and um, things were just weren't moving as fast as they wanted. So I had been involved in rental houses with my folks, managed a property or two, and I hated it. the the, uh, the tenants, you know, weren't responsive. They weren't paying rent. There was stuff that had to be fixed: toilets and termites and all those kinds of things. And so I wanted to be in real estate, but I didn't want to get involved in residential. And I happened across a, a podcast guy that came onto my podcast and he talked about land. And as he described it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. This I can do. Cause it, it really evolved around buying stuff, turning around and selling it and moving paper. I'm not a handy guy. So I didn't have to fix toilets. I didn't have to deal with tenants. All I had to deal with was buying and selling land, and man, as we got into this business, just the hunger that people have for raw land, you know, I think so many people know they're not making any more land out there and um over the last four years since I've had this business, it's been a big blessing to me and my family and to so many other families out there. I think we've bought and sold seven hundred properties now at this point, so we've done it and done it a lot
1: so that's a great story, and it's it's funny you should mention that uh, they're not making it anymore. The graphic that I've actually got for today's podcast is a quote from Tom. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark Twain, and it's by land. They're not making it anymore, and I think that's that's absolutely the case. There's a lot of land out there, but there is what there is, and uh, we won't be uh, turning up the the conveyor belts at a factory anytime soon to make more land, and that that makes it a, certainly a limited commodity. When we talk about this, though, and you say raw land, what exactly do you mean when you say raw land?
2: Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. So when I'm talking about raw land, I mean unimproved land for the most part. There's no house on it. There's not a cabin or, or a shack on it. Every so often we might pick up a property that has a shed. Um, maybe um, there might be some infrastructure but most of the land that we have is off grid it's not um not a lot of people around it you are usually you know 3 or 4 hours from a major metropolitan area so close enough for people to drive to but you know it's not the kind of place that people usually um will just go to at the drop of a hat you know you go in there for a long weekend You're building out there whatever folks choose to do with it. So usually in most cases, there's not like water lines. There's not sewer lines. Folks end up – you're off-grid. You're getting solar power or having septic systems or whatever off-grid type systems work for folks.
1: And so where is this land at? Like, are you mainly located in a state or a region? Are you all over the country? Is it it depends? I mean, because that's the first question I'll get if we don't answer it today. Where exactly does, <laughs> is the land available at?
2: Yeah, so, Jack, we got land all over the place. Most of it's in the southwestern part of the country because, frankly, that's where land is is relatively cheap you know, you can get a five-acre property for under $10,000 in many cases. So uh we do a lot in Colorado. We do a lot in New Mexico. We do a lot in Arizona. And we do a fair amount in Oregon. And most recently, I've started buying more land locally here in Minnesota, uh, up north, where there's lots of trees and um lots of, of pretty maintained roads up north. So that's, uh, that's generally where I've been, been buying and selling them, but we're continuing to expand. Um, uh, we're, we're getting into, um, Wisconsin and Michigan. We're getting into some Florida. So we're just going to continue to pick up, um, lots where we're finding people are
1: wanting them. You got to get down here in Texas. You got one property listed in Texas and it's sold. So, yes. <laughs> Texas, but
2: te- Texas is, is great. Um, but it has some really weird laws where I would have to completely change my contract. And so up up to this point, I've been avoiding Texas. But I'm sure we'll get there at some point. A lot of land in Texas.
1: Lots of land and a lot of it for sale lately, too. We've been looking pretty hard. What What led you specifically to invest in raw land versus any of the alternatives?
2: Yeah, well, you know, we could have invested in farmland, right? Um, land that's specifically zoned for farming and part of of um, what i found for those of us you know regular folks is that um, affordability you know is a big issue if we get into something that's more developed if we get into something that's farmland or or ag zoned you know the the prices skyrocket Versus the stuff we usually have for sale. So that, that was one big reason. And what we can do, which is a huge blessing is me as the owner, I can either sell for cash, which is always great, or we can sell with owner financing. And so when we do owner financing, a lot of our properties are like 500 down and 150 a month as minimums. There's some exceptions. Some are cheaper. Some are more expensive. But man, you know, if I go in and invest 50 grand into a property and we turn around and try and sell it for 80,000 or 90,000 or 100,000, guess what? You know, we're going to be looking for a big down payment, you know, 20,000 or 25,000 or something like that. And most folks can't afford that, um, but they can not afford 500 down and 150 a month. So uh, we can really appeal to everybody, which is great. You know, if you can, can afford that in your monthly budget. Um, with the owner financing, um, certainly we do welcome the cash deals as well. So that's why those areas, they're usually zoned residential or recreational. So if someone wants to build a bunker on there, you know, and uh, my wife and I were talking about doing that recently for ourselves, you know, you could do that. Um, if someone wants to have a small hobby farm, most of these places, you can do that. Not a full scale farm, but a, a small hobby farm, you know, have a horse, uh, some chickens, pigs, stuff like that. Um, if someone wants to go and camp out on these lots or take an RV out there, in most cases you can do that uh, for periods of time. Rules differ from county to county. I still have to get my hands around this anytime we go to a new place just because every county is different, every every uh, jurisdiction is different in terms of what they allow and don't allow.
1: Yeah, I mean definitely. And I think the, the whole ag exemption thing, everybody thinks that's like the – the holy grail of land or something. And especially when land doesn't have a house on it, you don't live on it, so you're not going to have your property taxes be really high anyway. It can be a detriment. And the reason it can be a detriment is, so if I buy land that's zoned for agriculture and I don't continue enough activity for it to remain with that zoning, I can end up with a bill for the property taxes the past landowners saved on. Yeah. And that's crazy. And then the other thing is, like, so you do owner or cash, but cash often actually means I went and got financing. And then you get cash, and, and I get a bill, right, from somebody else. and Exactly. Right? So it's it's cash to you, but it's still financing to me. Well, a lot of people don't know this. Most of the ways you can leverage to buy land – you can't use for an agricultural property. You have to get an ag loan, and they're going to look at more than your ability to repay. You Basically, they're going to say, can, can you do agriculture? Right. So it limits your financing options as well. So I I don't have anything against it, but I think that people, like, like anything that you do, it's a legal structure. And you need to think about what you're doing, because the other side of it is that now this applies to the person you're going to sell it to right? So if you buy, like, we looked at one house, we didn't buy it, but when I was looking for this place, it was 10 acres, nice four-bedroom house, zoned ag. Well, not only did I need to get an ag loan, I had to put into the calculus, if I ever sell this place, the person that buys it for me has got to get an ag loan. And so it's not always a good thing.
2: No, no, it's, it's, you know, it just depends on the person and the property, right? You know, a lot of a lot of our customers, particularly on the owner financing side, you know, a lot of them are renting, you know, they, they don't own a lot in their lives. And this is like their one chance to own something, you know, to get their piece of the the American dream. And we feel very blessed to work with the people are. We, do, we do. And frankly, you know, the, the vast majority of them couldn't get credit from a bank. It's not going to happen um, because maybe they've had past issues, maybe they've been unemployed, you know, whatever the reason. And so um, when you have to go through underwriting, which we don't do, um, then you you're, may not get a loan at all, you know, is the chance that you, you risk. And usually from my understanding and studying this stuff, you know, you get a home, right? The home, if you get a federally backed loan, you might only have to put down 5% or 10%. But if you're going through a bank to finance land, they're going to ask for usually 40 to 50% down. So you got to come with more cash to the table. Is everything I've ever heard?
1: Yeah, I mean the best I've seen in a raw land finance through a bank, you got you got track record, you got great credit, everything could be as good as it could get, and you're still looking at an absolute minimum of twenty percent on a conventional loan, Absolutely. And that that's that's a, it's not rare as hen's teeth, but it, it it's probably rare as rare as a fake unicorn anyway. It's it, usually it is more than that, so. And like you said, everything varies state to state, county to county, et cetera, with the way certain things are done, and that even ties into some financing, I think. But best deal I've ever seen was twenty percent down. And you know, on a hundred thousand dollar property it's twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. It's significant. Yeah, that's if it's nice. a forty percent down, it's forty thousand dollars and it's forty thousand I don't have to develop the property with. Where I could easily service the debt. But I, I can't necessarily come up with 40 grand in th- if I want to put a cabin or something like that on it.
2: Well, and here's the thing, I mean, just about land in general. What's crazy is, you know, some of these, these lots that we sold three or four years ago, they have literally doubled or tripled in value. Now, I don't know if that's going to continue in the future, but you know, even on financing terms, a lot of our buyers have done really well. We all know the government's printing money left and right, and you know, all these PPP loans, all, all this this um, concern obviously with the coronavirus. You know whether you believe it or not, a lot of people do. You know, and um, a lot of people are looking for land. And I believe that it's only going to get worse before it gets better. So you know, I think um, if someone's interested, you know, now's the time because with all the dollars being printed out there. We could very well be in a situation where hard assets like land are just going to keep skyrocketing.
1: I think that's definitely possible. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how it's worked out across two years here now, but what I've seen lately in Texas, which is, is kind of counterintuitive, is land raw land, the kind of stuff we're talking about today. That 's at least two hours or more from you know Dallas, Austin, whatever, where it's not, it wouldn't be convenient to build your house there and drive to work every day if you worked in a city has actually come down significantly over the summer, and I'm, my feeling is part of it is what you said there's so much of it here, and so we had our big boom, and you, you get a pullback, you know, but it 's still certainly higher than it was two years ago by a great deal.
2: Definitely, you know, I'm sure different areas, I'll tell you that, you know, some of the areas where I used to buy land, I might have bought it for a thousand bucks. I have to pay 2,500 bucks now for that same property. So, um, I know on the buying side on our end, um, things have gone up and, and it trickles through, of course, on the selling side. Um, so who knows? Yeah. Things, things have yeah. changed. It's a dynamic market. Um, each market has, of course, sub markets to it. So, depending on your size, you know I, from what i understand the uh the big ranches you know are still going for huge premiums because there's a lot of billionaires you know you got the the Warren Buffetts and Bill Gates and Jeffrey Gunlacks of the world that are are buying up lots of farmland and lots of big ranches so
1: yeah, it's interesting like a lot of the stuff that's like smaller lots are still really expensive around here the two five acre ten acre, and the big ones, like you said. It's the pieces that have been in the, like, 15 to 40 have had this summer decline, and that's part of why we're looking to do something soon before it's, it stops going that way and starts going the other way. But, like you said, it's it's different everywhere. Um, on on your end, from a person that would be doing business with you, what does a typical land investment look like?
2: Yeah, so what, what happens usually on our end, you know, we have um – I am blessed with having a few people helping me. So usually most folks now will talk to Christy on our team. And so her name is is plastered all over the website. And uh, usually you talk to her and, you know, you got to figure out what do you want? You know, are you looking for a certain acreage size? Do you have certain things you want to do or not want to do, you know, in terms of like, do you want to camp year round on a land? or do you just want to go out there every couple couple of months uh, are you looking to build you know so we have to get through all those different kinds of questions to figure out what's right for you and we have a lot of information on every listing on our website so we'll include some of the basic county rules that you'd want to know we include you know minimum square footage we include the uh, the pricing all that stuff is right there for people to peruse so um certainly talking to Christy is helpful and then once someone has picked out a property We'll send a two-page purchase sale agreement, which we send over sign, people have a chance to read through it, review it, make sure everything looks good, that we captured all of your info correctly, all the price and stuff is, is correctly listed. We sign it. And um, I sign it, they sign it, we each get a copy. And then after that's all done, then just got to do the down payment. And then we figure out the, the logistics from there in terms of monthly or cash and and how that works so it's pretty pretty straightforward pretty simple so many folks tell us this is the easiest thing I've ever done you know they get skeptical at uh, how easy how easy it is but we make it real easy for folks and all the different systems and stuff that we use
1: yeah and I'm assuming you're not picking up cans for your income or something I, w- I would call it affordable I'm looking at one property right now in New Mexico on your site uh, the owner finance price is uh, 20 grand. Nine, 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 yeah, uh, type thing, uh, but uh, total down is 3500 bucks, and a $400 a month payment, and that's on a eight-acre piece of property, and, and I mean, that's pretty affordable entry into a property of that size. Uh, also, I notice you have no pre prepayment penalties, no hidden fees, et cetera, right? So it's like I'm not going to do this in four years into the loan. I'm going to get hit with a balloon payment for 12 grand or anything.
2: No, no, absolutely not. No, we actually, the way that we structure things is we want people to put down as much as possible and to um, make as high a monthly payment as possible, right? That way I get my money back and we make some return on it the longer a note goes the more risk we're taking that someone defaults on it so we structure it so that you could get anywhere from 0% interest up to 10% interest so you know that's full disclosure up front and it depends on how long you're financing longer you're financing you know five years or longer you can get 10% you could get 0 if you're financing under a year so that's the only cost that we have to work out with folks you know to really see you know what's going to work for them some folks say you know what dave i'd rather um, have the lowest monthly commitment possible in case the world's blowing up and I have to walk away from this thing. Um, other folks say, you know what, I'd rather get this done as soon as possible. So we can work with all that. Um, we just have certain minimums we got to do. We're not looking for the 20, 30, 40 percent a bank is. um So it makes it more affordable for folks. And we can probably give better terms on the loans than a lot of banks would give.
1: So that's- and I guess you're using the primary collateral then as the land itself that's right yeah, yeah. so
2: uh, most of the time we do this through a land contract uh, land contract larger pieces on owner financing we might go through title um but generally we we avoid that because it, it gets much more expensive for the buyer and seller on anything under 20 grand so um we we will do both of those things and it's it's easy for everyone to back away uh, from a land contract if necessary
1: gotcha gotcha um so how do you like find this? How are you targeting leads like as far as, as buyers, sellers, et cetera?
2: Yeah, man. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a really cool business. Um, really, you know, everything could be done from the comfort of our home if we want to. Um, uh, but I do have office space that, that we have. And so what we do is I acquire land in three different ways. Uh, one way, is we send out thousands of letters a month to people that already own land. And um, that's a huge expense for us, as you can imagine. You know, the post office ain't getting any cheaper. <laughs> and and so um, we're offering people um, money for their properties. And, you know, maybe one out of every 300 or 400 or 500 end up taking us on that offer. And then, um, in that case, we might close through a title company. we might do a self closing, and then we we turn around and sell it. Um other times, like this year, we picked up a bunch of count uh, properties in Mojave County, Arizona, and we did that through a tax deed auction. So what that happened was the the county, I think this was the first one they had in like six or seven years. The county had seven thousand properties available for auction, and so uh, we picked up—I think it was a couple hundred—up uh, out in that area of different uh, different parcels. So what happened was people stopped paying property taxes, probably over seven, eight, nine, ten years. County goes and forecloses on them, and then they look to resell it. Um so most of these properties I think were foreclosed on a number of years ago. And the county makes some money, we get properties for a good price and can turn around and sell them at a good price. Um, another way we acquire properties are through tax lien foreclosures, where the the property hasn't been foreclosed on yet, but we pay the property taxes essentially on someone who hasn't paid their property taxes. And after three or four or five years, then we get to acquire a property. So that's the slowest way that we acquire land, um, but it's it's a great way to go. Um, people can end up paying those back, and then um, we get our money back plus some interest, uh, or we do the, the tax deeds, or we mail, which is our primary way above all else is the mailing because those tax liens and tax deeds kind of come up every once in a while.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask. Well, what happens? Like, I thought if you did that, you got the property. But so it's like a an escrow for a period, and then you can end up with it. And uh, so if if the if it's my land that I come up with the money, so I don't lose it, you just get your money back in one of those deals.
2: I, I get my money back plus interest. Usually the interest rate. I mean, for someone that's interested in this kind of stuff, you know, we get anywhere from about eight percent up to sixteen percent interest on those tax liens. So, um,
1: it's pretty secure as far as things go. No, oh, it makes sense. And it's, yeah, it's pretty good ROI, right? Um, yes, sir. So what, it, what, what are the typical restrictions you kind of covered this already, but I mean, everybody wants to know like, how much freedom do I have when you're, when you're doing this type of thing? And I'm, I'm guessing that is a, as a big ass, It depends. Yes, sir. Yeah, man, you, you
2: totally hit it. Yeah. So, um, There are some counties that's like, do whatever the hell you want with the, with the land. You know, whatever you want to do, it's up to you. You can camp in there as long as you want. Um, the, the one county that I would say that does that, that we've had, um, bought and sold land in is Cibola County, New Mexico. I think we got one property there right now. But um, certainly there's other people buying and selling land like I do. So if I wanted unrestricted land, I would go to Cibola County, New Mexico. It's pretty green out there. You know, you, you get um, warm temperatures, but you don't usually get the 100-degree desert-type stuff. So pretty moderate. Um, so I like that county for unrestricted land. Stay as long as you want. Build whatever the heck you want. You know, you really, really have full control over the land. Um, there are other counties – and states where that's not the case. Uh, I've found generally the more liberal states tend to be more restrictive, like Oregon tends to be more restrictive, for example, as a state. And e- each county can have its own rules. Um, but we like Klamath County. They're a little little less restrictive, but they do have, for example, um, camping and RV restrictions where you can go out for three or four weeks every six months out on your land so you can't like camp or rv full time there Uh, but you could build a house you know you could build a tiny house even so like 200 or 300 square feet in klamath county oregon other um counties off the top of my head like costilla county colorado they have i think you could camp or take an rv out there for two or three weeks every three months and then um, minimum square footage is like 600 square feet on um on costilla county um Costilla County, I don't think, allows shipping containers as homes, which I know some people want to do, but you could do a stick-built home, manufactured home, um, a uh, mobile home, all those things you can do out in, in Costilla County. So as you can tell, just in these three different examples, you know, there, there's big differences between them in terms of the rules and regulations and stuff like that.
1: And then there's always, how, how good is your status jiu-jitsu? Like, how can you get around <laughs> things, right? Like, so I remember reading this one story about a couple in Hawaii where they have ridiculous building codes and property extremely expensive, and they wanted to build a not a tiny house, but a small house. And I think they wanted to build a house that was something like 650 square feet, and that was no go. It was like 2,800 or some crazy that they had to, and it wasn't like a super nice. It was just stupid. Like, plenty of houses were small, but you couldn't build no new ones. So they asked the government, "Well, come." Can- can we build the garage first? And they said, sure. So they gave them the building permit. They built the garage, and the garage was the house. And they got away with it, right? I'm not saying you would always get away with it, but it's always like, what, what can't, I can't have a shipping container house. Can I have a shipping container to put stuff in? Really? Okay. I have one one guy I know through a business relationship. He wanted to build a warehouse. And they wouldn't let him do it, but he said he could build a shed as big as he wanted he built a three-freaking-acre shed. Nice. Right? And it's not a warehouse. It's shed. You're like, there's always ways, man. Um, w- what in general, though, like, can it can't be done with the land? I mean, we kind of just hit that, but, like, is there anything that like that's land use that tends to have problems? It's not so much putting a building on it or something, but the use of the land itself.
2: Yeah, well, certainly um, some of the things that I get asked a lot are can I grow marijuana? You know, that's 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 a common one. And um the answer in some places are yeah, you can. You know, you can have have your own own you know greenhouse and do stuff on it. Um other ones you can't. Like I know um in Costilla County, Colorado for example, you you can't do the greenhouse unless it's zoned zoned for ag and you have to get some special thing. But Oregon's more free on it. So you know it just uh and then, in Cibola County, New Mexico, we were talking about earlier, you can do whatever the heck you want with it. you know, you could have the greenhouse and and grow yourself some marijuana um and certainly the the larger properties generally are more favorable to ag type stuff, you know, if you get a forty acre or sixty acre or a hundred acre you know then then there's just less and less restrictions as usually
1: as a property gets gets to be bigger. Did I answer your question, my friend? No, it does. It does. And I I just think that's going to be something that a lot of people are going to wonder about, like what can I do, what can I do uh, with the land because there's there's just so much restriction in so many places. But I I think we're still back to it depends. Like when you go – I think when you're shopping for land, you have to realize, well, that's what you're doing. You're shopping for land. And so when you go to realtor.com, you don't think, well – which, you know, are all these properties the same? You think, I found this property now, what can I do with this property? And that's probably how you have to look at it no matter what you're doing. With the exception, I would say in certain counties in in my state, if it's unincorporated, the answer is, if you're not cooking meth, it doesn't matter. I mean that that was the literal words when I because I, I was trying to find out like, what can I do? what can I do, not do here? And since we're unincorporated, and Tarrant County has no enforcement of codes in unincorporated areas, the ultimate authority is the sheriff's department. It's like they're responsible. And when I asked the deputy sheriff, as he said, if you're not cooking meth, we don't care. Like, we don't do that. We don't have time for that. And then when I was looking to buy a property to do some other things with, I kind of got – That feeling that, oh, that's how Texas is. No, that's not how. There's a county south of here, can't think of the name of it now, but they have restrictions that are worse than like a thing in Fort Worth in the city. Because, and theirs is really stupid. Like, remember the Texas Super Collider? We're going to have our own nuclear cause the Earl to end, right? So it was the county, I think it's Ellis, where they were going to build it. And so, looking to cash in on this and all the commercial development, they put all this stupid stuff in place. And then the project never happened and they never took it away. So development there is just ridiculous what it takes to do development there. So I think you, no matter where you are, you're going to have to kind of navigate around these things.
2: And certainly, you know, one of, we can answer questions to a certain degree, but then people start asking such specific stuff we just say talk to the county planning and zoning department
1: yeah can, can i can i grow purple potted southern whole peas next to green peas like or something like that like, no, i don't know man like there's a point where you got to take it on as the buyer yourself right yes yes exactly yeah
2: so we can get basic information but you know do you do you, do you want to have a black horse and a brown horse? You know, I don't know.
1: Go talk to the. No, I would think so, but I'm not going to sign a contract that, that says that, yeah. Because I've seen dumb stuff like that too. Like, we, we went went looked at this one place and they're like, well, it does have a POA, and I'm like, I'm out. I'm Like, no, it's not that bad. And like, and you start driving around and you're like people have horses and cows, and I'm like, well, okay, I'll, I'll, you know. And so I looked at the agreement before I even bothered to look at the land. It's like, well, it says I can't have a chicken. This guy living next to me has a cow dropping a steaming pile, and I can't have a chip. I don't understand. No. And then I had to get, like, if you want to build a fence, you had to go to the POA with a model of what the fence would look like. Like you're you're in grade school making a, what the hell they call those things, A, a diorama or something, you know? And, like, can I please build? No, no, I'm out. And so I think you always have to really kind of drill down and look. Um how are you mainly marketing, um, to potential land sellers, to potential buyers? How, how do you get the word out?
2: Yeah. So, um, most of our marketing is all, all done on, online for the most part. Um, uh, we have a podcast called land stories. People definitely can check that out. Just, uh, just like this one on all your favorite, uh, iTunes and Google play and, and wherever else podcasts are, are, listen to so land stories is the name of that we have a youtube channel that folks can go check out and and peruse all the different properties that we have and have had in the past and we have some good content on there with some of the the land stories i video record them and throw them up on there too and then um we use a our own website which has Lots and lots and lots of listings there. Genfamproperties.com for Generation Family Properties. G-E-N-F-A-M. Properties.com. And then we list on a bunch of land selling websites. So if anyone ever peruses Landwatch or Lands of America or Landflip, uh, we have our stuff listed all over the place. So that's, uh, that's the primary ways we do it.
1: Very cool. And, what what have I mean, you? we kind of mentioned this too toward the beginning. There's been some good returns, but what is what is the return on ve- investment like? Kind of an an average, maybe I guess, when it comes to to land like this uh, over time.
2: The um it it differs from property to property. Um, in terms of of what that is, the more expensive the property, the the lower the ROI for for me. So you know usually. I'm looking before some costs, you know, to double my money. So if I'm paying 10,000 for it, I'm hoping to sell it for 20,000, something like that. Some properties we happen to get for really cheap. You know, we might be able to buy some for five grand or 7,000 or something like that. And then of course we have all kinds of expenses. I have lots of staff. We have deed filing fees, all this marketing I have to pay for. So the, the, the actual, my actual rate of return is never Never a hundred percent minimum. You know, it probably becomes fifty percent or something like that at the end of the day. So it's a, it's a great business. It's a profitable business, um, and um, we love helping people.
1: And so, if somebody wanted to to kind of emulate what you're doing specifically, maybe you know, in a state you're not really active in, would it does it benefit them at all to be within the state? Like you mentioned, like you'd have to change some things structurally to be in business here in Texas. Would that not be the case if someone was in Texas with their business? Is it because you're out of state or is it something that, like, it ain't really that big a deal. It's just that you got to do it different, and if a person was starting up, it wouldn't really matter because they would build their business to what Texas requires or any other state that you're not in.
2: Yeah, yeah, the latter. You know, I'd say um, it, it doesn't really matter what state you're in. It's just you got to get familiar with the state's rules that you do business in. And uh, most of the Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, and um, Colorado all have like the same rules, really. So it's like super easy, which is why I've done a lot of business there and continue to do a lot of business there. Um, But there are some states like California, Texas, New York that um, differ. Um, Some states are attorney states. Uh, off the top of my head, I believe um, Georgia, South Carolina, Massachusetts, New York, all those are attorney states, so you can't do self-closings. So uh, it costs you a lot more because you got to go through an attorney. And so, you know, you're going to pay 2500 bucks. So you're not going to buy a $1,000 property like I am and sell it for four grand because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Turn around and it costs
1: you more in yeah. the administration than the property itself, right? Yeah. Yeah, you learn weird stuff like that in a lot of places. Like, it, it, Texas is a terrible place to get sued in small claims court. Great place to get sued in a big lawsuit. Terrible place to be sued for 1500 bucks. And the reason is, in most counties, it's not real estate, but kind of the same vein, in most counties anyway, if you are a corporation, and you are sued in small claims court, you cannot represent yourself. You have to be represented by an attorney. So it's real easy to sue a company for 500 bucks and get them to sell, settle with you um, because it cost me 1500 bucks for that attorney to spend 90 minutes you know, waiting there to, to represent me. Um, what keeps it in line is the, uh, the, the, the suit penalties for frivolous on that are really high. You can get your ass in a big sling if there 's nothing like you just decided you were going to sue because i don 't know you walked by and stubbed your toe on the garbage can outside like you you 'll end up in Hawk for the rest of your life maybe you know they're they 're pretty heavy on that, that tort reform stuff but uh, when it comes like you there was an interaction and there 's any dispute at all even if you even if you were wrong, you can sue and they got to get an attorney i got. Sued by a graphic artist, and my attorney said, I can slam dunk her, but it's going to be $2,500 to save you 400 bucks." And I'm like, dumb bitch. You know, so you got yeah, – I guess you got to carefully choose what state you do what kind of business in.
2: Exactly, yeah. So it, it, I, wish, I wish I could give some simple answer, but it's not simple. Um, but basically, you know, like me in Minnesota, I could do stuff in Texas, and if I was starting out, maybe I would start in Texas. Um, but, uh, you just, you just gotta get familiar with, with your state and, and even the counties, you know, just kind of dig in there. There's, there's lots of people that, um, that are teaching how to do this. Uh, what I do, there's Seth Williams at RE Tipster. There's, um, Stephen Butala and, and Jill DeWitt at Land Academy. There's Mark Podolski at Land Geek. So there's lots of people that teach how to do this stuff. I'm not, I'm not in that game. Um, but, um. They, they definitely can get you started, you know, if that's something folks are, are interested in if you want to run a business. And I'll tell you, you know, it is a business. You know, this is not, um, something that you can do for an hour a week. You know, this is not something passive. A lot of people like to talk about quote unquote passive income. This is, this is a business with residual income that you can get on notes and and whatnot but it takes a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of effort. And so just realize that, you know, eyes wide open going in. Some of these people will try to sell you on how easy it is and it's not easy. <laughs> I'll tell you right now.
1: I've also noticed, I've also noticed you guys are not real competitive with each other as far as like having animosity or or what have you like i've seen that in businesses that are little bitty dinky businesses and you wouldn't think but like i've seen fishing guides freaking let the air out of each other's tires and i mean like just crazy crap over whose lake you know lake to walk is or something what are you talking it's a public lake but like real estate investors as a whole have always seemed to be very receptive to mentoring others and things like that even when there's not always necessarily something directly in it for them and i think it's just because the pool's so big you know, like there's only so many people that are going to fish a certain lake. And I guess that's why those guys get that way. They don't know. They also don't know anything about marketing. You know, they just take what comes and then they fight over the scraps. But real estate as a whole, I've seen like people like, yeah, come on in. You know, like the pool, the the, the pool's basically an ocean.
2: Yeah, well, I, th- I think that's true. And I think the other thing, too, that that is great is it's it's very much a relationship business. And so uh, there are – sometimes I sell properties to other land investors and so we have reciprocal relationships. Other times I have bought properties from other land investors. I don't do that so much now but early on I did in the first couple of years of the business because then I didn't have to worry about mailing and so – you know, you build these great relationships with people and, and it can be reciprocal. You know, you're not necessarily in competition. You can be working together in some cases in a mutually beneficial type relationship. So, um, there's a lot of great communities, a lot of great people and, and we work together. Sometimes some people fund other people's deals, um, that, that they might even be competing against each other in some cases. But, you know, I think, um, In our case, what, what's setting us apart is a lot of the marketing we do. You know, I spend more marketing money than pretty much any other land investor I know. Um, so we put ourselves out there a lot to provide great content and information and, um, posting our properties all over the place. So, um, but you got to decide what works for you, you know, when, when you're running a business like this.
1: As we wrap up, kind of flipping it the other way, do you have any advice for, for, for people that are looking to buy land? Uh, I'm sure that you know going to genfamproperties.com would be high on your list but let's say I'm somebody that's, that, that's looking for land in a state that there, there isn't any and and so I'm going to have to go out into the wild like it, it, with with having done so many deals you've probably become a pretty shrewd buyer now you're buying let's say wholesale sale and retail um and and this most people are going to be out there. You know, if they're buying one property, they're not going to get into it the way you did. They're going to be buying from somebody like yourself or or what have you, um, or through a broker or something. But are there some things they can do that will help them find the right property? Get the right deal, not make any bad decisions. Like I said, I I I looked at one piece of land and it seemed like a pretty good deal until you know that month forty six was a balloon payment that was almost as much as the the property would have sold for straight. So, are there things that people can kind of do to protect themselves, or at least to find the right thing that they're looking? Like because I always say, don't get freaking emotional with real estate because people get really emotional and they do really stupid things. Like I'll never find another one like it. You found this one, you know, like. In most instances, that statement's not true. Occasionally, there is that perfect place, but you got to be careful. Like be be willing to walk away, etc.
2: Yeah, I think um, th- those were some really great pieces of advice. What I, what I would add to being willing to walk away, you know, some of the things we talked about earlier. If you're dealing with someone like me, what I would do if I were in the buyer's shoes, knowing knowing what I I know, um, would be Um, To if someone is saying they own a property, you know, to ask for proof of it, you know, send me a recorded deed or show me on the county website where I can go to verify that you own this property that, you know, it's not going to be a scam. Um, And often if you get a recorded deed, it'll come with a book and page number or reception number that then you can go and call the county and talk to the recorder to say, hey, can you verify that this is the case? that this person actually owns this property. Um, so I would do that for sure. And keep in mind that if you look online, that many counties are like six months behind on stuff. So it often is a phone call you got to make. And some of these rural counties, it might take you a few times to actually get a hold of someone live. So I would do that um, to make sure something's not a scam. And then second, you know, that I would encourage folks, you know, is don't put down a down payment first, you know, get a contract and review that contract before you go and start paying money for something. That way you can avoid what you were just talking about, of um, getting screwed over by the terms of the contract, because some people won't refund money, right? And you don't want to have to go and claw something back um, without reviewing over a document first. So those are two critical pieces of advice I would get. Third thing is depending upon where you are, um, like Florida, for example, you can have properties in wetlands, flood zones, endangered species, that kind of stuff. So I would be looking for those kinds of things. Certain states that may not matter. Heck, in Texas, <laughs> you probably don't have to worry about that except on the, the eastern side of the state near Louisiana. Um, but depending on where you are, you know, if you're, you're in Georgia or a lot of the south, um, you really can get into a lot of wetlands kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, that's then, uh, that's a thing.
2: <laughs> and then uh, my my last piece of advice would be, you know, if I'm a buyer, you know, really um, understand, of course, that that um, someone is running a, a business, but you know, uh, if someone gives me a decent enough offer, I might be willing to take it. Um, so you know, don't be afraid to negotiate. Sometimes prices are not set in stone. So, you know, if I have a property listed for four grand and you offer me 3,500, I might take you up on that offer if you're paying cash. If you're, if I'm owner financing it, I'm not as likely to change the price unless you're putting down a higher down payment or something like that, like a substantial down payment. So, um, don't be afraid to negotiate. But of course, you know, there, there are some things that, that aren't negotiable depending upon what I bought a property for and stuff like that.
1: No, that makes sense. I, I would, I would add, and it's probably the the states you're in. You're not dealing with anywhere near as much as you would here, but uh, mineral rights, and mineral rights here generally mean uh, natural gas or oil. That's what it really means. You know, there's not a lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, t- titanium being pulled out of the ground here, or coal, or what have you. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of land for sale right now that the sellers maintaining the rights. To the minerals, which is again most of it right now is gas, and that's fine because it's the type of property I'm talking about, what you'll see when you look at an aerial of it is there's a pad where there used to be a gas well or some sort of infrastructure right, and that may take up three quarters of an acre of a 20-acre property. It basically is down to to either sand or, you know, limestone, caliche soil or something like that. And, okay, it is what it is, and it it takes from the land what the value is. And if they're maintaining the rights to the minerals, it's really important to know, well, do they have the right that the gas company can extract and they get the royalties? Because you won't even, if, if that's done from another piece of property, you won't even know what's happening. They're two miles underneath you. And they can be five miles away with horizontal drilling. Okay. You know, you probably don't really care because it's not, it's not going to affect you environmentally. It, it, You're not going to get 10,000 foot of, of coverage gas coming up from it or whatever. However, you need to know, do they have right of access? Is it ever the possibility they'll come back and want to use that space that they had to deal with in the first place? Because if they have that right of access, sometimes there's a time limit. Sometimes the time limit's so long, it might as well be in in perpetuity. And what happens on some of these gas wells is they move their equipment in, they extract, extract, extract while it's easy. right? And maybe they do some fracking or whatever, but they're extracting it, and it's not so easy anymore. And And what people think is, well, that well's gone. No, uh, uh-uh. uh. There's a lot of gas. I mean, basically, the reason this is going on is about eighty percent of the state of Texas. If you dig a hole, dig a hole deep, deep enough, there's gas, like it's li- like everywhere. This is like a huge ocean basin, is what it is from fifty million years ago. So it's there's gas everywhere, and what they'll do, they'll pull off, and they'll wait five years. And that well will then produce again for maybe another five years. And so instead of leaving all that equipment sitting there, they'll move it somewhere else and then bring it back. So you've got to be careful when the person says they keep the mineral rights. Are they done? And sometimes that's hard to get a straight answer on. And to me, if you can't get a straight answer, assume the answer is no and they're allowed to come back. You know. And sometimes the, the, the guy that's selling the property, doesn't, he's not being coy or anything. He doesn't even know. You know, basically, it was maybe 20 years ago is when it really got hot and heavy. The gas companies went and started to throwing money at people. And people are like, what, I get $18,000 today plus royalties for as long as you extract? And then my estimated monthly is 900 bucks." They didn't even care. They didn't care what it meant long term. They just did it. And and now you've got to dig back and find the answer to those questions so you know what you're uh, involved with. The other thing you have to worry about is, did they screw something up? And are they still on the hook if the government comes in, EPA comes in and says, hey, um, there's, uh, there's cadmium here now, and you're destroying the the, the the breeding habitat of the striped-tailed foofy flu, and you owe us $50,000. bucks. you have got to be really careful on stuff like that, too.
2: Absolutely. And this is another one of those things that really differs from state to state. I know from people that have worked in Texas that are colleagues of mine that, you know, those those oil and and um, gas mineral rights are worth a lot. And the state of Texas is favorable towards the drilling companies for it. So even if you own the top soil rights, if someone has the oil and mineral rights, you know, you, you they could start drilling on your property. Whereas in Colorado, um, that's not the case. If someone else has the oil and mineral rights, uh, but you have the top soil rights to it, then they can't start drilling without your permission. So these things, again, differ state to state. And so some people say, oh, what about mineral rights? And it's like it doesn't matter in the state of Colorado because they can't do anything with it anyhow. They're practically worthless unless you agree to it with your property. Um, the, the other thing that I would encourage folks to do, which again, knowing what I know now that I would be careful of, and I would research would be if there are any back owed taxes or back owed HOA dues, if it's in an HOA, because, um, those are the ways that we acquire property, right? You know, we're, we're buying them because someone forgets to pay on their taxes. So you got to look for stuff that might be getting foreclosed on or in process of foreclosed on. Um, If they owe the back taxes, maybe you want them to clear it before you buy it, stuff like that.
1: Or maybe some other form of lien that's not tax-related, right? Like I've I've leveraged this property elsewhere in some sort of private contract, and one way or another for it to be enforceable, it has to be publicly discoverable. But that doesn't necessarily mean easily discoverable. Right. You got it. Yes, sir. Yeah, it'll be nice when we eventually can bring blockchain into this and basically tokenize properties, and there's everything that matters against it, but that's not going to be real soon, so you got to be real careful with this. Well, dude, I appreciate it. You want to tell people how they can uh, find out more about you, and you just mention your resources. I'll have links to everything in the show notes as well, so people don't have to write things down or whatever.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, if you do a search for generation family properties, you'll find us all over the place. Um, certainly you can go to genfamproperties.com, the YouTube channel. And if someone is, is really interested in buying a property, um, you're certainly welcome to contact me, which my um, Google Voice phone number that I use to filter calls is 775-234-2058. Or if you want to get a hold of someone sooner, probably Christy is your gal, and you can contact Christy at 971-248-6715. Text phone call, whatever, and her email address is sales at genfamland.com. That's sales at G-E-N-F-A-M-Land.com.
1: And, and tell us a little bit here about your podcast before you go. What, what is kind of your podcast, like what is a typical ep- episode like?
2: Yeah, yeah. So Land Stories um, on on iTunes, you know, we talk about a whole variety of topics. Um, we've talked about some of these things that we've addressed today. Uh, we've talked about understanding title and chain of title and, uh, liens. And, uh, we've, we've dived into who are the 10 largest landholders in America. Um, we've brought on into the podcast some, some folks that have bought property from us. So you can hear about what's their story. What are they doing with the land? What are their plans with the land? Um, stuff like that. And, um, Lots and lots of great content. We talked about how to know how something isn't a scam. Uh, we brought on a guy that does um, loan on land, Jeremy Stevens from Landline Lending, um, guys that specialize in in um, fishing and hunting and uh, stuff like that, a guy that did tiny homes. So basically, most anything around land and uh, what you can do with it, things to watch out for and all that kind of stuff.
1: Well, very cool. And I I like that because it's not like episode one, 10 reasons to buy land from us. Episode two, 10 more reasons. Like, it's not an infomercial. Um, I have a a former client that runs a radio show that's in the mortgage business, and he runs a radio show that's actually, you know, everything you need to know about mortgages and stuff like that instead of why you should buy from TexasLending.com. Like, he'll throw that in at the end or whatever, but it's it's really informational and it it worked really well for him. So I'm I'm glad to see you kind of doing the same thing. And, Dave, man, this has been really interesting. I definitely recommend people get by your website, uh, check out your podcast, et cetera. And, again, like I said, I'll have links to everything in the show notes today. And thanks for hanging out with us for about an hour today.
2: Yeah, it's been fun. You guys um, feel free to to hit us up anytime, and we'll have to have you on our podcast, my friends, so people can hear you on there too.
1: Yeah, man, I'd love to to come hang out. Just uh, get in touch with Arthur to set that up. And uh, and with that, I'll say uh, thanks for being on the show today. All right, thank you. That was a really fun episode, and I wasn't sure how it would go whenever anybody is in a business like that and they want to come on the show. You always worry that it might end up being completely an infomercial type thing based on his guest application. I didn't think it would be, and it wasn't. That was really great, really informative, and I hope it helps you guys out. And that said, I, I totally want guests to get a good branding experience if they have a company. And I totally want them to uh, be able to reach you guys. So if you're looking for land, do check out uh, Dave's website. And specifically, he has a lot of stuff available in Colorado, and New Mexico, and Arizona. So that... I'm not saying it's the only place. I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff available in those three states. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up and remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, one of the ways you can help support us, just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you start your shopping there, no matter what you buy, you will help support us and the work that we do. The item of the day that I have for you today, and remember, every item featured at TSPaz, if, if I have it there, I own it, I bought it, and I'd buy it again, or I wouldn't recommend it to you, my audience. Today, if you don't own a dog or a cat, I don't think it's going to help you. But if you do, especially one that sheds, and most of them do, you're going to want this. It's called the Furminator deshedding tool for dogs, and there's also a cat item, which is basically the small dog model in a different color. Now, I, I had a love-hate relationship with Furminator for a long time. I first learned about it from my vet. God, I got to say, I don't know how long ago, it was before the survival podcast. um, And we had my dog Lakota, who was a Siberian Husky there. And he just, there's shedding and there's Siberian Husky shedding. And my vet told me about this thing. She pulled it out and she went to town on him with it for about a minute. And he gave the bar that they do. And there was a pile that looked like you could have made a, a pillow. With stuffing it 's amazing Siberian huskies are not a very big dog. The amount of hair comes off them is amazing, and I was sold, and she was selling them at the time, and they weren 't widely distributed yet and uh, I think I paid forty bucks for it, and I knew it was expensive, and vets have a tendency to really mark stuff up, but it was like, I need this. Over the years, you know, as the Internet really took off and Amazon and services like that, um, a lot of Chinese companies started making knockoffs. Nowhere near as good, but it drove the price down. And now this thing sells for what it should sell for, you know, 15 20 bucks in that range depending on the options. And it's, yes, the knockoffs are cheaper, but this is so much. It works better, and it's more ergonomical. There's two big things. One, it just does get more hair off than the knockoffs. I've tried them. But number two, it has a, a, a hair ejector. So, this thing, it's like a little fine tooth comb and it pulls all that shed hair out. And then it's stuck. And after a certain amount of time, you know, you kind of need to clean it out. Well, they've got a little thing you push on it, pushes that hair out. So, it works better and it, it's more functional. It's totally worth a couple dollars, you know, for the equivalent more. And they're on sale today, too. So, that's why I brought it around. If you are tired of having too much dog hair around, uh, give this thing a try. There's some photos and some videos in the write-up today that show you how good it really works. Um, it's am- I'll tell you how, how happy people are with it. On Amazon, it has 4.5 out of 5 stars overall with 26,000 plus reviews. 26,000 reviews. You know, there's people that game the review system and, and stuff at Amazon. You don't game the Amazon review system Successfully to the tune of 26,000 reviews. That tells you people are happy with it, and if you have pets of your own and you know how much of a pain in the ass shedding can be, you can understand why people would be so happy if they found something that worked. Check out the Furminator. And remember, Furminator, all the other stuff I've recommended, or anything, as long as you start your shopping at tspaz.com, you help the survival podcast and the work all that we do. And with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. Song of the day today. Is by Sawyer Brown, and it's called the Dirt Road. And I chose it because of the topic today. It's 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 you know kind of being out in those rural areas and, and appreciating the difference uh, living like that than living in the city. So that fits in with our raw land discussion today. But I I thought I'd tell you guys a little bit about Sawyer Brown if you don't know. Some of you do, some of you don't probably. Sawyer Brown as a band. Was the first. Musical group, and as far as I know, the only musical group or musician to ever go on Ed McMahon's star search and actually become legitimately successful long term. You know, it, like that was it, like star search, we're gonna find the next star and all these different, you know, spokesmodels and musicians and whatever. And like that show ran for a long time, it was really successful, but the people that went on it weren't. The thing is, if you were a Star Search fan back then, you may not even realize that because they weren't called Sawyer Brown. They were called, wait for it, the Mark Miller Band. If you don't know why they were called the Mark Miller Band, look up Sawyer Brown. Anyway, with that, have fun traveling down the dirt road. it has been Jack Spearco with another episode of the Survival Podcast.
0: Daddy worked hard for his dollar He said some folks don't, but that's okay They won't know which road to follow Because an easy street might lead you astray I'll take the dirt road, it's all I know I've been walking it for years It's gone where I need to go It ain't easy It ain't supposed to be So I'll take my time And life won't pass me by Cause it's right there to find On the dirt road I have lived life in the fast lane You gotta watch your back in the both ways But When it's said and done, the time we have is borrowed You better make real sure you hit it the right way I'll take the dirt road, it's all I know Been walking it for years It's gone where I need to go It ain't easy It ain't supposed to be So I'll take my time And life won't pass me by Cause it's right there to find I'll take the dirt road It's all I know I've been walking in it for years It's gone where I need to go oh, It ain't easy It ain't supposed to be So I'll take my time And life won't pass me by Cause it's right there to find On the dirt road On the dirt road